Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here. Merry Christmas. I know we have another week yet till Christmas, but it seems like the last month or month and a half, it seemed like Christmas was right around the corner. Um, It's a good time of the year. I'm excited about Christmas. I enjoy Christmas. Um, I look forward to time together with family. I think often about camp when I was at, at the boys' camp. Christmas time was not a good time. I was at camp. It wasn't always for the Chiefs. And it wasn't for the boys when they got home in a lot of cases. Um, and I say not all the cases, but especially um, my time in South Carolina where there was a lot of dysfunction. Um, it, was always a, it was often a hard time for a lot of the boys. And that session was a hard session because the boys were struggling with knowing what they're going to go home to. Um, knowing that they may be seeing some things that we in our church probably won't see on Christmas Day. So we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, and I'm looking forward to Christmas this year. But I also want to say I'm so thankful this Christmas season for what Jesus did. Died on the cross. Gave us an opportunity to be reconciled with the Father. And gave us the opportunity to have fellowship with the Father. Like you can see. Um, I guess I thought about that more as preparing for the sermon. And there is so much in our Christmas celebration that we hear and we should think about when it comes to being reconciled with the Father. Most of the songs that you are singing often go back and point to that. Um, It's amazing. The theology and the doctrine and um, all the things that are written in these Christmas songs that so many people enjoy. Um, We were singing the song this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, God and Sinners Reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angels and hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. God and Sinners Reconciled. We're going to talk about that um, some this morning, and that is such an exciting thing to me. Think about this a little bit. When you go into a lot of places you go into, um, in the next couple of weeks, a lot of the malls or whatever, they're singing these songs. Um, and bringing out the theology, uh, a lot of good theology about what Jesus did for us. Um, and I think that's kind of a neat thing. I would encourage you in the uh, upcoming holiday, maybe even sometime, just have your devotional, pull your hymn sing out, your hymn, your book out, and just start looking at the songs and study them. There is so much to the words of the songs that we sing here um, and that you hear throughout the Christmas season. But that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, I'd like to, if you could, open up your Bibles again to 1 John chapter 1. And I'd like to spend um, a series or spend the next couple sermons I have on 1 John. Um, By the way, you can see I have a PowerPoint. You can give that credit to my son, Daniel. Um, last night after a long day at market, he put the PowerPoint together, and I was hoping it works for this morning, especially for him, and hopefully you all can enjoy, um, or at least follow me a little closer by the PowerPoint we have. I'd like to get into it, found in First John, and if you get into First John, you'll realize First John is a lot about the assurance of salvation, understanding our salvation. Um, I've always liked the book of God, didn't get to... Um, book because of that topic, the assurance salvation. In fact, when I realized that's what the topic's about, I almost um, decided to not dive into First John. But um, I think the Lord has asked me to um, to get into the book of John, probably for more felt than maybe than um, the message this morning. I like the reason I like the book of First. I enjoyed John, um, and I enjoyed um, his books are so relational. Um, he people. 
and he was known as, as Jesus' beloved. Um, and, and a lot of things you'll see in the book of 1 John and John with relationships. But I also recently was moved um, to study and look into 1 John because of a message I by a man called Paul. Um, Paul Usher in 1 John, he says, he made a statement that stuck with me. It's this, if we're saying we found a new relationship with Christ, I will first ask you if you found a new relationship with sin. And you'll see in 1 John, there's a lot of repentance. A lot about realizing who we are um, and being able to realize that we have... Um, God wants us as Christians to be repenters. And we're going to get into that in this series of 1 John. Do you have fellowship with the Father? That's a question we should be asking ourselves um, daily. What's our fellowship with the Father like? God is giving us an opportunity to have fellowship with Him because of Jesus Christ, because of what happened at Christmas. Um, and we should be looking and asking ourselves, do we have fellowship with the Father? The theme in 1 John, and I found this in quite a few commentators, is found in 1 John 5, verse 13. Um, and you can open up and look at that, read that verse to you. Um, it goes like this. I write these to you who believe in the name of God, so that ye may know that you have eternal life. That's called assurance of salvation. John wanted the church, and we're going to find out, we're going to go back and talk about. Um, the, John wanted the church at Ephesus. He was there when he was reading book. Um, to know that they were truly saved. He wanted them to be assured of their salvation. Not just hope. So he gives them tests. And I think these tests are for us this morning. And each chapter a different test. Um, the first test is going to be chapter 1. Um, do you have fellowship with the Father? Brothers and sisters, if we do not have fellowship with the Father, according to chapter 5, we are not Christians. Okay? And I think we need to understand and accept that. Despite, we'll say, Paul watched it this way. He said, a lot of people will tell you, your pastor tell you you're saved. Your parents may tell you you're saved. And your heart even tell you you're saved, even though your heart is desperately wicked. None of those people are really, can truly tell you you're saved. You have to have fellowship with the Father. And only till you go into the Word of God and realize and dig into the Word of God will you know that you truly are saved. So a lot of people claim to be saved. In fact, if you go to most bars and meet the people in the bar in some of the worst places in our, in our country, and you ask the people, are you saved? They'll say, yeah. Does that mean they're saved? No. Just because we say we are, just because our heart even says, but our heart is wicked, we cannot say we are saved unless we follow what the Word of God says and what it says in the Word of God about salvation. Okay? And one test of our salvation is, do you have fellowship with Father? Chapter 2, another test. Do you keep his commandments? You can look at chapter 2, verse 3, this. And John, a loving man, a very gracious man, is quite frank in what he says. And hereby do you know that we know him. How? If we keep his commandments. I'm not saying that. That's what John said. Um... Next one. Next test. 13. I write unto you fathers because you know not him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome wicked one. I write unto you little children because you... Uh, I think that's the wrong one. Um, do you love the world? There's a verse in there. I got the wrong verse there. It's 
15, yes. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, John said, um, I think that's pretty clear. Chapter 3, verse 7. Do you live righteous? All chapter 3 talks about, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous is righteous, even as he is righteous. Chapter 5, do you love your brother? And there's mentions in here. John is a big believer in relationships and loving each other. And he realized when Jesus said, if you don't love your brother, you're not my disciple. And he makes it very clear, very, very honest about our relationship with Christ depends on our relationship with our brothers and sisters. If we do not love our brother, can't be a Christian. I think that's very fair. I know that sounds hard and harsh, but it's the truth. Do you love, do you believe and know Jesus Christ in chapter 5? So we're going to spend some in each one of those. Not this morning. We're just going to do chapter 1. Um, and we're going to look at the test um, in chapter 1. And the test chapter 1 is... Um, do you have fellowship with the Father? Let's go to the background of 1 John before we get into that. Um, before we go into ch um, chapter 1. Very interesting. 1 John was written by John, of course, the beloved. Um, at least that's who it was. And it was probably written after the book of Revelation is what they think. So it makes it the oldest or the newest book of the Bible. Um, and it makes it... Um, John was quite old when he wrote that book. Maybe up, he may have been 80 years old. It was probably written in the... Um, second century, or could have been written the second century. Um, and John at this time was a bishop in Ephesus. Okay, he spent quite a bit, of, think of Paul and his time at Ephesus, but John also spent a lot of time in Ephesus. I'm not sure why, I think maybe there wasn't as much persecution, it was a good place to be, um, a safe place to be. And John wrote this letter to the people around Ephesus. And to understand 1 John, I think it's good for us to understand the city of Ephesus at the beginning of the 2nd century, about 60 years after Christ came here on earth. You know, so often when I get into the Bible, I think about the Bible, I think about the different authors of the Bible, or even when I think about um, my parents' generation, I think things have changed so much. Um, and in 2,000 years, things changed a lot. And yet, the Bible was written... And it's a lot closer. The people of Ephesus and the people of the Bible are a lot closer to me and you than we think. Just like some of you older people know that the younger people go through about the same thing you went through at a young age, right? Things didn't change that much. I know we have cell phones and a lot of technology, but we are a lot the same. And our situations are a lot the same. And we're going to find out the people of Ephesus, their situation was a lot like ours. The Bible is relevant to us today. It is alive and personal. What happened 2,000 years ago, when this was written, is still personal to us today. Um, there are four important factors that prevailed at this time, um, during the time of the Church of Ephesus. And this Church of Ephesus sounds a lot like the United States, or our churches today, or maybe even our church at Weavertown. First thing I want to mention about, um, written towards the end of his life, written to the Church of Ephesus, First thing I want to mention, it was probably to the second or third generation Christians. Now think about that a little bit. Okay? And some of us are second and third generation Christians. Um, how would this, what was Paul, or what was John telling the second and third generation Christians? Um, the thrill and glory of that Christians had faded. The newness had worn off. 
Their zeal and first love is mostly gone. Look at what Jesus tells. This is Jesus. Tells the church of Ephesus through John in the book of Revelation. Okay. This is probably second generation. Third, maybe third generation. The thrill is worn off of being a Christian. And he says in Revelation 2, 4 to 5, which was probably written before on first John. Nevertheless, I have someone somewhat against thee, and this is to the church of Ephesus, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou hast fallen and repent and do the first work and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, remove thy stick out of place, except thou repent. And Matthew twenty four twelve, Jesus said this because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax old. The second generation Christians were hoping to have their salvation grandfather to them without truly having fellowship with the Father. Is that any of us here? I can relate to that. Um, I think that's something we need to think about. Is our first love wearing off? Are we a little bit like the church at Ephesus? Who John is talking to in 1 John 1. Second thing we see here. At Ephesus there was a high standard in the early church that made Christians different. Okay, The standard was high for the Christians in the early church. All early church Christians the standard was high. If you're going to be a Christian you were expected you were held to a high standard. But the children and grandchildren of the early church didn't really want to be different than the world around them. Anybody can relate to that? I think a lot of us probably can. I think I understand uh, what that church was thinking. Um, the early church didn't want to be different. The early Christians, or the, the second generation, third generation, didn't want to be different. The early Christians were called saints from the world Hyogos, which meant set apart or set aside for the full use of God, which comes the word holy. So, if you were an early church, considered a saint. A lot of us kind of feel a little nervous when somebody would call us a saint. Why? Because they're calling you holy. They're expecting you to be different. And we talked about that uh, when I preached my sermon on holiness. <clears throat> That's where the definition of the word holy comes from. Set aside the use of God means holy. Uh, the pots and pans of the temple were known to be holy pot pans because they were only allowed to be used in the temple. Only because they were only used for God. The Sabbath day was called a holy day. It was a set day. Only used um, for God. Now the Christians are called to be holy also, which means what? We're called to be holy. Which means what? We're set apart. Which means we are going to, should be different. Than those around us. Than the world around us. That makes me squirm. I don't like being different. Um, and yet God wants us to be set apart. And different for a good purpose. For a good reason. Not awkward different. But different for a good reason. Yeah maybe that does become awkward. In fact in John 17 14 it says. I have given thy word. And the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. I believe I can relate to this. I don't like to be different. But it's still, <clears throat> but it's still, we still often want to be called Christians. Um, and yet, we don't want to be different than the people around us. The third thing we find, um, sorry. Persecution was no longer an enemy in Ephesus. Does that sound like us? 
The danger of the church at this time was not persecution, but seduction within. Paul specifically warned the church of Ephesus in Acts 20. Paul tells the church of Ephesus, as it earlier, Acts 20 and 30. For I know this, that after my departing, grievous wolves enter in among you, bearing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speak perverse things, to draw away the after them. Christianity was not in danger of being deceived, but changed. And you ask, you need to ask, has Christianity changed in our country in the last 20 years, years, 100 years? I don't think there's a question in my mind, or probably any, it has changed dramatically. Why? We don't want to be different? Probably. Um, because the devil is seducing? Yes, we know that. Um, and he's still going to try, try to change um, Christianity to his event. <clears throat> it said that you know, there was an attempt made to prove it. Improve Christianity. Failure? To give it an intellectual respectability. And to let it in with the philosophy of modern Greek culture or the philosophy of the modern American culture. Things haven't changed so much in 2,000 years. The, <clears throat> and we'll find what First John is doing is trying to refute Gnosticism. This is very popular at this time. I don't have time to get into it. It's quite if you um, take world history, you'll learn more about Gnosticism. Not agnostic, and agnostic is a don't believe in God at all. Um, Gnosticism is who does believe in God, but they are a subtle change. Um, and it was a heresy that was so close to modern liberalism, which we have in our country today. Gnosticism is not, not an agnostic who doesn't believe God at all, but Gnosticism basically believes, now this is, you can follow with me, this is a little, um, a little deep, Ouch is completely evil. This also is, by the way, why they didn't believe Jesus could come in the flesh. They said Jesus came as Christ, as a, but he didn't come in the flesh. That's what the Gnostic, and you'll see John use this over and over in First John. I believe we find this heresy in modern Christianity. Listen carefully. See if you find this not heresy within our evangelical, our Christianity, American Christianity. Um, we are basically, we just need to ask Jesus in our hearts so we don't need to repent and get a new relationship with our sins. Does that sound? Look at, everyone can be a Christian without really changing our lives and our evil desires of our heart. Everyone is basically good. We find John clearly telling the Christians and us today, we need to continue to walk in the light. And this means we need to continue to repent of our sins. We're not basically um, We need to continue to repent. In fact, we are not basically good unlike what you'll find in Christian psychology today. Come to a psychologist and he'll say, yeah, you're basically good. Um, and that good, we have to fan that and you will get better. We, need to, we don't need to feign good. We need to confess our sins. We have, we are not good. We have sins that we continue to confess. You'll see that in First John when we get into that. John wrote this because he cared about the church of Jesus. And he cared about their salvation. And he wanted them to be. Um, and I think I have a purpose. You see, John was at his love. He was never known harsh. He was an old man, but he cared deeply for his people. But he didn't mince his words. Why he didn't mince his words? Because he knew that he knew what he was saying could make a difference of their eternal destiny. They're bigger, 
to not mince words in that. Did he love them? Absolutely. It almost sounds harsh at times when you read 1 John. But he loved the Ephesian Christians and he wants every one of them in heaven someday. He cared about their eternal destiny. He cared about their relationship with Christ. Um, I believe we should care this much for the people around us. No, I'm not talking to those who do not profess to be Christians, but those in our own church, our brothers and sisters, our family, our, only, our own church members. If we see people around us that need to be tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, are you, do you fellowship with the Father? Do we do that? Or would that be too harsh? Do we care about their own destiny? Now, that's a hard to do. And in today's society, it is hard to tell anybody they're on the wrong track. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But I need... The Word of God, but we as Christian brothers need to do it too for each other. Do we deeply care about their eternal destiny? John did. And the following verses clearly hear John's concern for his people. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7. Look at verses. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have it with him and walk in darkness, we say not the truth. Brothers and sisters, we need to help each other. We need to be serious with this. Um, where do we stand this morning? Do we have fellowship with the Father? The theme of the book of John is assurance of salvation. In the book of John, we find a series of tests that reveal our fellowship with her. When we take these tests, John hopes that they will continue to bring us repentance. Which I believe is also the test of our salvation. We, as Christians, they tell are we repenters? And I was reminded of that. Um, I was, um, yeah, moved by that. I see myself too often as a renter. Sunday school lesson was clear about the Pharisees. I don't know where you were at when you were reading the school lesson or studying it, but those people out there where they were talking about, right? 2,000 years ago? No. No problem? What was their problem? They're repenting. And it's no different for us. If we are not daily repenting, we become self-righteous quickly. In the book of John, <clears throat> before we look at the test John gives us in this book, we need to understand a few things. Now, I want to make a few things clear. And I hope I make this clear enough about salvation. Um, four things to understand about our salvation. First of all, a true believer understands his salvation is alone. It's not in our works. Make that very clear. Um, True believer understands and believes this. Number two, a true believer has it settled in his heart that they're never righteous enough to save themselves. It is grace alone. Number three, a true believer is a broken person that can never delight in his own righteousness. His hope is not in, in himself and his good works because good works are filthy rags. And we know the verse, Isaiah 64 says, but we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like wind have taken us away. And the fourth one, last of all, true Christians understand that it's something supernatural that makes us right. Only God can change our hearts. And because these things, and because we change hearts, we can continue to repent and confess our sins. We live a life of brokenness and humility. And maybe to add to that, the more we walk with God, what? Often the more self-righteous we become. Ain't that? Almost an oxymoron. Um, 
You see, most non-Christians believe they are good or at least okay when it comes to their eternal destiny. The more we move toward God and His Word, the more broken we become. And the greater our desire for repentance. We look at it, we'll take a closer look at this in 7 when we get there. You know what, let's turn to verse 7 right now. That's a great verse and we'll get into that one. And then we're going to get verse John. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. The series of tests gives us is not to prove our righteousness, but to prove our continual need to repent and be broken. If you don't like the idea of brokenness, don't read John. Because there will be many things in there that should convict us. And move us to him. I love the story of John in the book of Revelation. I don't know if we're going to have. Uh, probably won't have a chance to look at that. He talked about that when he uh, preached on Revelation. But you remember the story in Revelation. Where John meets Jesus. After probably 60 years. His beloved. Um, the one he loved so much. And he meets him. And what does John eagerly do when he sees Jesus? Anybody? Falls flat on his face, completely down. Why, Eli? What do you think John did? He was humble. He was unworthy. Exactly. Um, the spirit we need to have. I'm going to ask you again. Do you have fellowship with the Father? Um, let's open up now to First John and look at the set of tests of our salvation. Um, what is this test? Let's open to First John. And in the first there, we see John talking about his time with Jesus and his fellowship with the Father. John looks at his time with Jesus. I'm going to ask this a question. What does it mean to have fellowship with the Father? What does this fellowship mean? What is this fellowship? I'm just going to read um, a quote from Peter Tan, and I know it may be a little hard to understand what he says, um, but I hope we can catch a little bit of what he's trying to say here. It's the fact and the experience of a Christian fellowship only exists because God the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son, and His Spirit was established grace as a relationship, a new covenant with mankind. Okay, and that's the Christmas story where God the Father, or God the Son, came down on us. As a baby, and get a new covenant. The relationship leads to a communion not only with Jesus Christ and Spirit, but also with one another. The word for fellowship, kawana, and we see this clearly in 1 John 3 6, where we read that when we walk in light, truly our fellowship with the Father and with His Son Christ, and that His the relationship. And that this relationship of grace has profound implications for daily living. For if we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie. Here the basic meaning of fellowship is a real and practical sharing in eternal life with the Father, the Son, and a relationship with those around us. I'd like to just point out what he said. Practical thing with the Son and people around us. Relationships um, are practical. Walking with God should be practical. Having a fellowship with the Father should be something that is practical. We can put our hands on and see. Because the idea of fellowship with God needs to be very practical. When, when I was thinking about preaching on uh, 1 John, and I realized the theme of the 1 John is assurance of salvation, I started trembling. I was like, I'm a theologian. I didn't go to college. I didn't really do so well in high school in Bible docs, um, Bible doctrine. And I wouldn't profess to understand the theology of salvation. Now, I think 
understanding it better. But when you start studying salvation, you'll see that there's many people who have many different ideas on what salvation is. And good people. Um, evangelists. Depends what do- denomination you are. So you start talking about salvation, you get lots of controversy. And I was like, how am I supposed to wade through this controversy? Doctrine of salvation is very controversial. It is a theology, it is a theology and doctrine. Um, but it is one I think we need to um, look at. I'll say it this way. I'll do my best to make the lessons in first and very practical. In fact, what we'll find out is that is exactly what John wanted to do. He wanted us to open the book of or the uh, church of Ephesus. And he wanted to see salvation. Not their work, um, but salvation is a practical living. It says in James, um, put it this way. There's so much about our salvation that is practical. We are not saved by our work, we, but by our works, a proof of our salvation. Like it says in James, um, and Dave preached on this, without works. James says, faith without works is dead. And then he says, being alone. Faith alone is dead if you don't have works. In chapter 2, James says, Someone will say, you have faith, and I will show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you your faith by my works. So I'd like to say, this idea of assurance of salvation is a practical, needs to be a practical thing. In fact, um, this is where the early church and the Anapath forefathers disagreed with the reformers. Christianity is not just a head knowledge, but a theology that leads to practical living. You see, Conrad Grebel, Mons, Menasimons, they all believed in Christ alone. And even said, we like the reformers in, the, in their theology of salvation. They even said, we like the reformers of theology. But they said, we need to live it out. And it's proof of our salvation. And that's what John's saying here. Now, I know we may have a slightly different view with some of the Baptists who say you can't backslide. But if you don't have fruits, it means you never were saved, according to the Baptists. I agree um, with that partially, I, I also believe that uh, Christians, we can backslide. And there's probably a little difference in the two. Um, if we are a Christian, we will have... Here's a statement again Paul Washer. Um, Paul Washer, Baptist missionary in uh, Peru. He was there for many years. Moved back and he is a very known evangelical right now. And he said this. And this did not go well with, by a lot of people. A lot of people. But he said this. If you love the devil's music, the devil's movies, the devil's clothes, and you enjoy the things of the world more than the things of Christ, you don't fellowship with the Father. He said you were never saved. I believe you make a pretty strong statement. Um, but it's something we should think of. Something we should seriously consider. What fellowship like with the Father. The definition of fellowship also relates to fellowship community or fellowship with one another. And again, we'll talk about that a little later. But we better have relationships with those around us and our brothers and sisters if we have fellowship with the Father. Having fellowship with the Father is a personal relationship with God the Father. Verse 1. We see in the first three verses, and this is how it's off in the book. Um, I'm going to read these first verses here. That which was from the beginning, which we have, heard, which we have seen with our eyes, have looked upon with our hands, have hand of the word of life, the life was manifested and seeing it and bear witness unto you that eternal life which the Father and was manifested unto us, which we have seen and heard declare to you, that ye also may have ship with us. And true fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying, Jesus was here on earth. I got to spend time with him. I had ship with him. You can too. Um, you can have that same relationship with him. That was in the beginning. You see, the first part of that says, in the beginning. Uh, 
What does it mean to have fellowship with the Father? And that's what we're going to get into uh, right now. If you go to verses 1 and 2, he talks about our relationship with Jesus Christ and how John personally walked with him when he was born. He's telling us a personal walk with him and claiming we can have that same fellowship with the Father. And you see that in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare you that ye may also have fellowship with him. John is you can have that same relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. This here is key and central to the point of uh, central point of God's word. The theme of the whole, I believe, is we can have fellowship with the Father. John declares he saw and heard, announcing the good news of the gospel. We can now have that same fellowship with the Father. Is he announcing it? What does this do for us? Look at verse 4. Why is he announcing it? This is the same reason the angels when they came to announce Jesus' birth. Excited. Um, because they realize that something's changing. There's a new covenant. Um, we can now have fellowship with Father. And the tells us, And things write we unto you. Why? You may be full. We can be excited. Because now we can fellowship with the Father. Now we're not in our sins. Now we're not lost in our sins. Now we have a hope. Now we know what to do when we sin. Even though it's not easy to repent. But we know what to do. There's a way for it. How John Yu says um, when, he's in, when we're in a hard situation or some hard situation. He says there's a way forward for the Christian. And that's because we can with the Father. A relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with the Father is very practical. Community. <clears throat> oh, looks like I wasn't sticking my notes. The type of our fellowship with the Father we find in verse 5. 5 and 6. Do walk in the light. And here's where we need to dive in. We need to take a personal look. God is light in him. Darkness at all. What does that mean? Is God light? Now if we want to look at what light is. Look at verse 6. Here's an interesting. If we say that we have fellowship with other and walk in darkness, we lie and we walk in darkness, right? It says? No. He says, and we do not the truth. He's telling us here that walking in darkness is what? Walking away from truth. Okay? Now he could have used the word, um, if we walk in the, if we say we're walking in the light um, and we're in darkness, we're lying because we're walking in darkness. He says, we're not walking in darkness. We're we're walking of truth. Um, so darkness, light, is truth. Find truth in God's word. Um, if we want to know, so this is pretty simple. If we want to know walking in the light, we do walk someone. We look into the word. We want to know where we're at with Christ. We look into the word. God in him is no darkness at all. <clears throat> we say that we have fellowship with Father. We, walk, we lie and do not... the. Illuminates. How does God illuminate? By giving Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto We see and truth. If we want to know what we get into God's word, he will, it will be light, will be our light, and will show us what we need. The opposite is also look at the world and look at what our political system today. I shouldn't say what I think of our political system, but um, if you've been in my history, you know I appreciate as our president is doing right now. Um, and he seems to be moving our country in the right direction. It is extremely confusing. Um, last week, we found that he was, gonna, or he was giving campaign money to cover up an affair that he was having. 
And the right is saying, well, it was okay. I'd rather use that for campaign money because anyways, it was very, very... It becomes extremely tempting. It's been that way some time in our political system. Um, it is confusing. And if you know the opposite of look at politics, it shouldn't be that one. Uh, a little bit of the truth. Light is the opposite of that. It's clear. It is distinct. We know where we're heading. We know is. That's what light is. Um, and that's what we need to do. Um, walking in the light is clear. In fact, someone is struggling with understanding truth. They are not walking in the light. Confusion is not of God. But light and truth of God. If we're confused, we're not spending enough time. Or we're reading or looking at the wrong things. Or we're hearing the wrong things. Because we're in the light. Can we be confused? No. Now, am I saying you're not allowed to ever confuse? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying when we get confused... Pick up the word of God. Get serious about it. Look at it. What it is. Don't listen to all the words and all the voices around you. Take the word of God. You will um, stand and you will see the light. If we claim to be Christians who light in God's word, the light of God's word, we love the truth. And we seek it and we follow it and we walk and we walk not in darkness. A sign of not having fellowship with is walking in darkness. Confused or not walking with God. Then verse brings out again the great theme of the Bible. And have fellowship with the Father because his son Jesus Christ came down as a baby cross to cleanse us from our sin. This is Christ's great mankind. The next question we need to ask, do we walk in the light? Um, and the next question, and how do we find that light? How do we walk in the light? Firstly, that's pretty clear here. Um, the next three, I'm going to read those next three verses. Say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins, and that us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Uh, let's look at these verses real quick here. And I think there's a lot to these verses. Verse, the question, <clears throat> the first thing we want is the fallacy, the idea of sinless perfection. Sisters, where we're at. But if we claim not to have any sin or perfect, we got according to this verse. Because it says, verse 8, if we say no sin, we are doing what? We are deceiving ourselves. We are becoming self-righteous, number one. We are moving away from God claiming that. Um, and the truth is not in us. But the opposite is true. Confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Give us our sins and to cleanse us of righteousness. And cannot cleanse if we don't ask. God is willing to continually sanctify us, help us grow. And we do that by looking at God's word, seeing our mistakes and seeing our problems um, and changing. We still all sin. We never, if we don't, we are deceiving ourselves. What it's really saying is Christians are perfect, but are always to repent. There enters a true sign of a Christian is how he responds to his sin. His sins toward God grieve him. He cares when he is not walking it. In a service where God's word is preached, Christians are growing in their relationship with God. The true Christians are ones that are the quickest to repent. Who does not repent? Selfishness. The, the true Christians are saying, yes, I need to change in that. Yes. Lord, I need to change that. I haven't been doing where I was. And there, repent. If we're in our darkness and claim to be perfect, we see the need for repentance. If we're smug and where we're at in life and claim we have it all together, 
we will see our need for repentance. If we're not seeing our sin, the devil is deceiving us. Don't claim you are without sin walking in the light. Christians are, Christians are repenters. Then verse 9 is a beautiful If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to give us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But this verse starts with what? If we, <clears throat> starts with, if we, need, to come, we need to come to this with our sins, we can't be forgiven if we don't realize we have a problem. We can't expect to be known as repenters or Christians if we repent. Repentance, brokenness, and humility also brings a fellowship with the Father. So you see, fellowship with the Father, it doesn't come from being perfect. It comes from repenting and changing. Verse 10 goes on. We live in a broken world with sin all around us. And yes, within us, we as Christians roll against our sins. Don't abide, seek to walk in them. Like it says in John, um, we abide in Christ. As Christians, we're not abiding our sin. We're not walking in that. But we are repenting when we do um, verse interesting. You look at verse, John uses what pronoun? We, including himself. This is an old man should be sinless by this time. He realized he still sins. We that means saying he still a sin and still sins. In fact, if we say we have, in fact, he says if we say we have not, sinned, we make God a liar. Pretty strong words. John Piper says, if we are not sinning, we're saying blaspheming God. It's basically saying, say we're perfect. We are saying we don't need God. It's pretty serious to say you sin. John, <clears throat> if John here say, we call God a liar. The thread on the Bible is forgiveness, sisters, forgiveness. That's what, and it was interesting. At camp, um, when I that concept at camp working, I realized the thing, all the baggage that they come with. Or it's not all the problems they come with. And believe me, you through some of those. But it is forgiveness. If we have problems, which all of us do, some of us more than others, some of us come some pretty hard situations. All of us think our situations. Um, but we've, from hard situations, the theme needs to be not what ought to me in my life, in my past. I can be forgiven. I am forgiven and God wants to forgive me. Um, that's something I think member. The theme of the Bible is forgiveness, and that's what we see here in First John. When we're, <clears throat> there is always a move forward. <clears throat> we'll find that the cure of all problems in our relationships and all the other struggles comes with having fellowship with the Father, and that starts by being repenters. It starts by taking our sins before asking and confessing our sins, being open and broken to. And can ask us a couple questions. Do we have with the Father? Are we walking in the light? Think about that. And that means we're to God. That means we're fine. of our sins. What are we doing about our sin in relationship with the Father? And let verse verse John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and justice to confess our sins and to cleanse us from all us. Let's kneel in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming here um, and reconciling us, giving us an opportunity to be reconciled. Father, thank you that we can actually um, speak Father, and our Father is, has become our Abba Father. Thank you for your love to us. I'm willing to die for them. Thank you that we can have with you. And thank you all for cleansing us and continue to cleanse us of our sins. God, help us um, to the sin. Help us to take a look at and understand and realize 
um, when we're working with you that we need to repent, change. Help us to look things around us and, um, or look to you um, to help find um, our way. Thank you for what you've done lives. Thank you for this group. Thank you for Christmas time coming up. Help us to be able to celebrate it and celebrate it. Help us remember what you've done us. Just over the rest of the week, give us a um, good week in preparation for the season. In Jesus' name, amen.